I am honored to be in presence of all these brilliant anti-imperialist minds. So let's start with Dr. Vijay Prashad. I always want to start as, a, as an introduction question because this is an anti-imperialist summit. And I think especially among the West, uh, I'm a victim and we are a victim of public education here in America. There are a lot of confusion about what is imperialism. I see, I see a lot of people misuse the term. I've been trying to uh, educate myself to become better on this topic. So that's a great way to introduce uh, uh, and start a discussion if you want to kind of find uh, imperialism and, and also kind of shout out uh, your work and where we can find you as well. That's to me. Yeah. Okay. I'm not familiar with this format. So um, this is much more casual than I'm used to. So forgive me. Um, so I'm the director of an institute called Tricontinental Institute for Social Research, which is based in Buenos Aires, in Sao Paulo, Johannesburg, and Delhi. Um, we do research um, accompanying social and political movements. We are part of the International People's Assembly, which is a political platform of about 200 movements, including the Landless Workers Movement in Brazil, um, the Socialist Party in Zambia, uh, Workers Party in Bangladesh, just to pick one from each continent. Um, I, uh, you know, have been very proud to help build the Institute since we had a meeting in Sao Paulo in Brazil in 2015. The meeting was called Dilemmas of Humanity. And we came together to discuss um, how the uh, World Social Forum uh, project um, had not actually worked for political and social movements. And so we got toward building um, a different form of, of, of politics. And the International People's Assembly came out of that. Um, there was a lot of discussion about the need to have a research institute. And Tricontinental essentially um, accompanies the movements and develops our understanding based on um, what we feel um, you know, movements have learned in the course of their struggle. So the question you asked me was about uh, imperialism and how one understands imperialism. Well, um, it's a formidable literature that, of course, goes back to 1916 when Lenin made his um, notes on imperialism. People forget that that was a pamphlet uh, written by Lenin in the heat of the moment. He had read Hobson's book, um, who was a liberal, um, a British liberal who had great misgivings about British imperialism, um, but had a lot of good data in it. So Lenin reading Hobson um, radicalized Hobson's argument. Actually, it's a great study, not only of what is imperialism, but how a Marxist takes um, the best of liberal scholarship and radicalizes it. It's actually a really good method methodological exercise. At any rate, um, what is imperialism for Lenin is different than it is for us now. Um, obviously, there's a lot of conceptual work that can be taken up. But, you know, Marxism is boundless. Marxism is not a religion. So something written 100 years ago, or 150 years ago is not directly applicable today. And one should never treat Marxism um, in a religious way. 
We don't look for quotations in the classics to justify things we're doing now. That's what a religious minded person does. We look at the facts today. We understand the facts through concepts. Uh, we understand the facts through our assessment of them based on a systemic understanding of the present. So what is imperialism? Imperialism is, is essentially um, the suffocating force used by the old colonial powers um, to maintain low wage rates and low national incomes in certain parts of the world uh, to their benefit. Um, essentially, imperialism is extra economic. It's the use of diplomatic, military, um, and of course, financial power uh, to prevent countries from exercising their sovereignty, and which is why I would argue that a synonym for imperialism is suffocation or national suffocation um, of certain nations and also certain classes. It's important to recognize that um, many uh, of the important raw materials for um, uh, modern capitalism come from a set of countries. You know, they happen to be in the global south, but not all of them are. Uh, they happen to be in the global south. Um, and these, um, you know, uh, resources are extracted at below market value. Um, copper from Zambia, for instance, extracted below market value. And then Zambia has its own wealth, even at market value, stolen through procedures such as transfer pricing and so on. These are all forms of suffocation of the national projects of people who live in places like Argentina, Zambia, Thailand, and so on. So you ask me what is imperialism? There is a way to have a very complicated debate about it. And I'm not interested in that because I'm generally interested in popular education. So in that sense, what is imperialism? It's suffocation. Yeah, and, and that's a, a brilliant uh, uh, way to describe it. And that's exactly what this anti-imperialism is about. So we can have education about these ideas. Because I see a lot of people use these terms incorrectly. They don't know what is imperialism, what, what it means to support an imperial, imperial power as well. That's why in order to start this conversation, I would I love to hear people's perspective because it's, it's such a, a broad thing to kind of uh, define. So I, I want to get uh, Carl in. I don't want to mispronounce your name, so I, I apologize for not saying the last name, last part. Can you, uh, I, I want to pose the same question to you. Uh, you can introduce yourself uh, and uh, the kind of work you do and your take on imperialism and why it's so important to uh, fight against and resist imperialism. Hi, I'm Carl. Um, I'm a podcaster. I run the Silk and Steel podcast, uh, which is primarily focused on China and surrounding regions, history, culture, and politics. Uh, I think VJ uh, pretty much defined imperialism very succinctly. Uh, you know, I, I don't have anything to add in the definition of imperialism, but I think a very important thing to point out is what VJ has said about. Uh, imperialism is taking away sovereignty of people. It's taking away the agency of the of the exploited. Um, I mean, right now, uh, the the term imperialism has been co-opted by our liberal media. Uh, you know, the all these uh, CIA front groups are are very good at co-opting leftist languages. You know, now now they are, they 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 use imperialism. Uh, 
in such a way it, it kind of lose meaning you know like imperialism is not trade you know it, it, trade with other people is not imperialism imperialism is a very specific form of relationship there's it's, 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 it's a, a power that comes in and imposes will on the subjugated population um so so that's i think that's pretty much uh you know as vj has pointed out i'm i'm not a theory guy again <laughs> so i defer to vj for 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 theories <laughs> but i i think we uh it's uh, it's that what uh, that that judge set up about pornography right it's like if we see it we we know it right imperialism we 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 know what it is i mean like there's no dancing around it so yeah another theme of this panel i'm gonna ask both of you guys about this here very soon is the western hypocrisies when it comes to imperialism and war crimes and you see a lot of countries especially in the global south and africa and china they're starting to reject the global order. So I'm gonna ask you guys about that very soon. I wanna get I wanna get my friends at BetBeat Media in here as well. Peter and Cream, I'm, I'm kind of tossing it to both of you guys. You have anything you wanna chime in? Any questions that you guys wanna ask as well? Because uh, as you guys know, my partner at BetBeat, they are helping us host this summit. So I'll pass it to you guys at the talk. So Cream and Peter, you guys wanna take a crack at it? Yeah, uh, glad to be here today with VJ and uh, and Carl. Uh, both uh, both are guys that I, I like a lot and follow. So uh, very, very honored here. Um, I, I would like to add one more thing to the definition of uh, imperialism. I think, um, let, me, let me quickly think. I think Vijay said military, economic, and political par, uh, power uh, to exploit other, other uh, countries. Uh, and I would actually add also cultural power to, to psychologically uh, create the belief, both in the exploited and the exploiters, uh in hierarchies that that somehow justify their exploitation think about racist ideology classism uh, all these kind of things i think that is one of the one very crucial aspect of imperialism as well um some of you have lived up uh, all over the world myself too and you see that in some nations formerly colonized societies those who are still colonized you see that uh, among a lot of the population there is almost this internalized belief that 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 uh, what is happening is in some way, shape, or form natural, and I think that is that is one super important aspect of 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 imperialism. Uh, the, that that kind of yeah, how do you call it? Soft power, cultural power, to really instill the belief in those hierarchies that you see today, and that people say, okay, we are being civilized or modernized, uh, or that kind of stuff. To the extent that when I was teaching in Malaysia a few years ago, people, young people uh, in their twenties, were still saying that the British came here and they modernized us uh our society and these kind of things so i that was just something i'd like to add and yeah i had a we we were talking to jun shu yesterday or the day before and i was just saying like you know aside from defining what imperialism is uh it might be easier to define what it isn't you know you can't be imperialist if you don't have an empire i don't get this this use of the word imperialism to describe you know like iran iranian imperialism or chinese imperialism you need an empire to be imperialist right but anyway i i want to ask you guys both about about china and india but uh to to put an extra heavy burden on you i first want to ask uh what do you think is going on in the northern left or like among northern leftists because i had thought i guess from my experience during the iraq war that we were all on the same page and to the extent that we all kind of agreed with the basic realist 
view of the world that you know the the weak uh, sorry the the strong do as they will the weak suffer as they must uh states act like rat bastards to each other this is kind of standard uh but apparently i was wrong that there's a lot of people in the global north uh among leftists in the global north that don't seem to get that and now they they seem to subscribe to the the madman theory of of uh politics and bringing up history geopolitics that's all uh, that sounds like what Putin would say. So it, it's it's anathema. What do you guys think is going on among these people that, you know, ideally would be uh, extremely helpful by reining in their governments a bit? Wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, the, 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 northern, the northern left has been infiltrated, you know, so many times that the a lot of the time people uh, uh, you know take out tag on leftists as a label because that's a hip thing to do um, I mean how many people really understand anti-imperialism should be one of the cornerstone and foundation uh, of of the left I mean like how can you claim to be um, a leftist yet support especially if you're in an imperial core country like United States and, and and supports a policy of NATO, for example, right? I mean that that just doesn't jive. And 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 this is so 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 the northern left have a very uh, I I think sometimes it's often disconnected from the experiences of people who lived in the global south because uh, people in the global south are on the receiving end of the of the imperialist policies of, of the north. Whereas I mean that in the developed countries, there's a difference different set of circumstances. You know, people are usually more concerned about uh, the, their own personal well-being, as they should, right? And, and but they should also realize that the, the especially the, you, I mean, I, I'm speaking from like American-centric point of view because, you know, I'm American citizen. Uh, people don't realize, need to realize that their, their, their lack of well-beings in, in imperial core country like United States is directly tied to the fact that U.S. is spending gazillions of dollars of money to wage war all across globe and bring misery to, to the people of the world. That's, that people need to see that, that direct connection. We, you know, this is a reason we can't have Medicare for all, right? This is a reason we can't have a, a better education system. We can't have infrastructure because all the resources have been devoted to wage war around the world and for whose benefit, right? The, the, often the, the policy elite often talk about the national interest, right? What, what is U.S. national interest? Interest for whom, right? The, the, the whole thing is set up as a grift to, to divert money from everybody into pockets of a few of the of the weapon manufacturers and their hangarons or their the think tanks that they, they sponsor all these people are getting their mac mansions in, in northern virginia right while the rest of us are struggling and 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 i think that the the northern left uh it's so divided it's so, i mean i i kind of depressing sometimes for me to, to talk about it because it's 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 been infiltrated co-op and it was it's so divided people bickering on 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 all the the kind of the the small differences rather than finding common grounds you know we it's, i think it should be very easy 
to say, okay, despite all our differences, what we need is to stop this insane war machine, yes. right? To at least redirect the resources back inside our own country to help development, to give people better, uh, to, 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 to give people better well-beings. That should be the priority. I mean, that should be the focus. And, and I think it would be a lot easier also to convince people Look, you know, rather than spending money on the weapons of, you know, of of war, we should spend the money ourselves, right? And 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 that that might be a better way to sell to the to the broader public who has been brainwashed since birth about U.S. roles in the world, how we need to be the global hegemon, how need we need to maintain the global rule base order right but what does that mean what what does these so-called the the rule-based international order mean for average americans right we are bearing the cost but we are not seeing the benefits and 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 it's also immoral because it's inflicting a lot of pain in the global south countries yeah when you, you mentioned that there's like this this left infighting that goes on and what we're trying to do at rbn at revolutionary blackout is bring what i call uh, the true left together because there's a lot of people who have different definitions of what it means to be left or right but when i use the term left i'm i'm being very simple i'm talking about anti-capitalism and anti-imperialism and we all can come together today and we can talk about uh the evils of imperialism how we can resist imperialism so the only infighting i see is the people who are calling out the people who are weak on this issue like i, I was i was very upset when i see nina's turner's position on bds i'm seeing uh a lot of the progressives falling for NATO and Western uh, warmongering propaganda as well. So I also kind of I want to take this time to pro propose a question to Dr. Prashad Vijay. Um, how do you think people continue to fall for the Western hypocrisies? How do they continue to fall for the empire that allows them to go along with the systems that enable the weapon defense contractors, as Carl put out, that continue this endless war? What, and what do you think is the mechanism that called you to continue to fall for this propaganda, if you want to take that on, Vijay? Well, um, I think it, we should go back to the Iraq war, uh, or rather the U.S. war on Iraq in 2003. Um, it's, I think, important for people to remember that there were millions of people around the world that actually took to the streets um, to prevent, try to prevent um, the United States under George W. Bush from conducting an illegal war of aggression against Iraq. In fact, that war of aggression, which began in 2003, was an escalation of a war that actually began in 1991. It's often forgotten that after Saddam Hussein um, invaded Kuwait, uh, on several occasions, he attempted to find a way out of that. Um, his first attempt was rather... Um, club-footed, you know, he came to the United States and said, um, if uh, Palestine is free, we will withdraw from Kuwait. Well, that was not going to happen. And then he backed off and said that, okay, fine, just give us some security guarantees. We leave Kuwait. And George H.W. Bush, the father, who was supposed to be the moderate person, refused to negotiate with Saddam Hussein and they bombed uh, Baghdad, they bombed the Republican Guard, there was a so-called highway of death and so on. Well, um, 
12 years later, when his son uh, wanted to prosecute a second illegal war against Iraq, millions of people did take to the streets, including a million people in New York City and so on. Well, United States went ahead with that illegal war. Um, and then something interesting happened. And I think here's really where you can identify the, the real fractiousness that opens up in the metropolitan left. Um, after the Iraq uh, the war on Iraq began and was in full flow, the United States, the Australians, uh, and so on, put together a new kind of approach, which they call responsibility to protect. This was a way to recover so-called humanitarian intervention after what they saw was an ideological debacle uh, with the war on Iraq. Gareth Evans, who was the foreign, former foreign minister of the Australian government, you know, was the chair of a UN panel on responsibility to protect. And they pushed forward this doctrine, R2P, responsibility to protect, which was then enacted by the United Nations under immense pressure from the West. Um, you see, why I'm saying all this is because R2P was the basis for the great confusion during the uprising known as the Arab Spring. It's here, particularly when France wanted to go into Libya uh, with that war in 2011, that the R2P doctrine was used. And that fractured parts of the metropolitan left. One section of the metropolitan left, both in Libya and in Syria, came out uh, using the language of human rights. And I think, oddly, believing in um, the let's call it, I don't want to call it the legitimacy, but to believe in the good faith of the Western militaries. Um, so there was a very large section of the metropolitan left, many of them coming from the fourth international tradition, the so-called Trotskyite tradition and so on, um, that actually supported NATO's war against the Libyan government and very much supported the slogan, Assad must go in Syria. Um, that's actually where the roots of much of the contemporary fractiousness in the metropolitan left come from. And, and you can actually see this. The very same people um, who were chanting the slogan, Assad must go, are very much uh, behind the idea of um, arming the Ukrainian army uh, against the, um, the Russian forces. Um, so I think actually that this is a very interesting development that's taken place um, in, in the, the European and in North American countries, a, a consequence of a very systematic ideological campaign um, around this concept of responsibility to protect, uh, a deep ideological campaign um, that suggested that certain people, for instance, are by themselves, you know, monstrous and uh, authoritarian. And I just want to give you an example of, of what I mean here. Um, after the war, the NATO war on Libya, uh, which really destroyed Libya. I mean, the country is a wreck. Um, after the NATO war on Libya, many of us approached um, NATO, including, you know, Western human rights organizations like Amnesty International, uh, Donatella Rivora, very respected researcher on the ground in Libya and so on, approached NATO and asked NATO for uh, their, you know, materials to show what their targets had been in Libya in order to go and study 
um, whether civilians had been hit. You know, when you have targeting information and they say we're going to hit this building, but they hit another building and kill civilians, well, you can start adding up, um, you know, civilian casualties and therefore make a presumption of war crimes and so on. So many of us approached NATO and asked for such information. So did the United Nations, because after all, NATO attacked Libya based on UN resolution, Security Council resolution 1973. That was based on the responsibility to protect doctrine. Um, well, NATO's lawyer, Peter Olson, replied and said something very important. Peter Olson said that, look, we're not going to share any of that information with you because NATO simply does not commit war crimes. Um, NATO cannot commit war crimes. War crimes are committed by the barbarians. War crimes cannot be committed by NATO. And in fact, I would submit to you that majorities of people in the North Atlantic state believe that. Majorities of people in the United States, for instance, continue to have great faith in their government, in their military, and believe that their military doesn't commit war crimes. Uh, despite the evidence revealed by WikiLeaks and its founder, Julian Assange, now sitting in Belmarsh prison awaiting extradition to the United States, despite plain, clear evidence of war crimes by the United States, there are still majorities of people in the United States, in Canada, in most of Western Europe, that simply don't believe that their countries are capable of committing war crimes. And that includes people who, you know, are to some extent on the left. Um, I think that's where I would see the problem. I, I think the very immense work done by the governments and the regimes in um, the North Atlantic states uh, to affirm their human rights commitments through concepts like responsibility to protect, I think had an enormous impact on these societies so that today, you know, it's one thing to scream and shout and say, but look, there are war crimes or, you know, what about? And so here's what happens, my friends. Um, during the uh, Irish Republican Army um, attempt to free Ireland from British colonialism, there was a lot of bombing by the British of civilian targets in the northern counties of Ireland, at which point sections of the Irish Republican Army decided to target civilian targets in, um, in the United Kingdom, in, in Britain, in England. Um, when that happened, people started to say, look, this is outrageous what the IRA is doing. And then defenders of the IRA said, yes, that's true. It is outrageous. The IRA is bombing pubs. But what about the killing of um, Irish Catholic civilians in the northern counties of Ireland? And that's when the phrase whataboutism develops uh, because of the idea, what about this? So when people start saying, well, what about war crimes by the West? Um, then those people who raise those questions, which actually is not whataboutism, a classic move, conservative move, pioneered as part of the attack on the Irish uh, freedom movement. But that particular strategy is used to disable any real debate, comparative debate um, about war, about the brutalities of war and so on in our time. So I would say there's a really deep cultural problem uh, to deal with here. It's not just about, you know, people are being you know, mischievous or they don't get it or whatever. I think there's a really deep cultural problem 
to deal with, where people have faith in their in their regimes, as it were, and believe that the Slavs or the Arabs and others, the barbarians, um, are capable of war crimes, whereas the Northern Europeans are simply not. Yeah, I would like. I totally agree with what you said, and uh, and I, I think that that's something that indeed is deeply cultural and you saw that already hundreds of years ago starting with the white man's burden and and it's something that that i think is also being perpetuated by this tremendous tremendous media power of the united states and the west in general it's so incredibly asymmetric that that even even when i discuss with my own parents they are so they are so influenced by this idea of putin my parents live in the netherlands they're so influenced by the idea that putin is is the big evil it's it's almost impossible to convince them otherwise or at least don't get me wrong i think what putin did was 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 terrible but to at least try and discuss with them where this maybe come from you know to to put it in its historical context it's it's, it's pretty much impossible and it, and i can honestly say my parents are intelligent people you know what i mean it's it's I, it's very frustrating. How do we resist that kind of, of media power that, that you see coming from empire? I I see, you know, what I have seen is some people among the younger uh, population, they even accept the U.S. atrocities. They accept the fact that U.S. commit atrocity all over the world. But then they say, but these other people are just as bad or, or these other people are even worse. And, and and, you know, the, the Russians and Chinese, Iranian, whoever's the official enemy of the day, these are people are the immediate threat. So we have to do something about them right now. You know, don't worry about what U.S. Uh, atrocity committed in the past or whatever. Let's focus like let, let's take the attention away from the U.S., but let's focus on what these other baddies are doing. Right. And to uh, uh, Still, I'm underlying all that, even if they verbally acknowledge U.S. atrocity, I think VJ is right. Underneath all that, there's still a belief that we are the good guys, right? We may have made some mistakes in the past, but, but you know, let's look beyond that. What we did is a mistake. What, what they're doing is atrocities, and, and we have to stop them. And, and there's still like this, uh, people still subscribe to the idea that U.S. should be a global hegemon. U.S. should be the world policeman because that is our problem. We have to do something about that. To that, I say, why? Why do we have to do anything, right? We we are in a world where you know we all we, we all of us know many American public are very ignorant about the world outside of the United States. Right. And yet we are expected to, to understand the inner munitions of all these conflicts so far away from our shores and make informed decisions. I mean, th th that doesn't work when most of the people can't even find a country on the map. Right. And, and this is how about focus like to appeal, I think, to appeal to the U.S. public in general. I, you know, many of them have been bombarded with propaganda for years. Let's. I think a a, a, um, a better way might be, hey, look, let's let's focus on ourselves, right? The, 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 let's focus on ourselves. This is we we have all these tremendous amount of wealth at our disposal, right? Rather than going around the world, you know, uh, uh, um, 
spreading destruction all, all around. Let's focus on building ourselves. There's a direct conflict between U.S. interventionist policy abroad and U.S. developmental policies domestically. Let's yes. let's let's just cut out the intervention part. We are we are we don't have to do anything. This is we, we need to focus. We have so many problems at home that that needs addressing today. Right. We don't need to play the the, the hero. I, I mean, a lot of times this so-called playing the hero is playing straight into, you know, what what the State Department has planned for us. That is a narrative they want us to follow. I'm saying let's not play their let's not play their game. Let's not play their narrative. Let's focus on on address injustices in United States. Let's let's address on the you know on, on building up the United States that that desperately needs fixing. And, and this is just my argument. I think that because for the for the broader. U.S. population, they might. I, I don't think people, most Americans, even generally care about what's going on outside their borders. They don't even care, you know, what really is going on in Iraq, in Middle East, and that is why all these media talking heads they have so much power because they they they're the one dominating the the, the conversation. They're saying we have to do something because Saddam is a, is is throwing out babies from incubators. Right. Well, like because the rest of us, we just simply many, many of the Americans just simply don't have the context to make the correct uh, judgment. All, all we've been receiving is propaganda. So let, let's let's recognize that fact and let's recognize we do know about the U.S. context. We do understand the domestic situation. Let's focus on that. Let's fix it. And right now, all these interventions abroad is a distraction from it, and you will, you will, you, 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 we will never get healthcare for all if we keep on spending trillions of dollars on defense. Right? We're, we're never gonna get get uh, you know fix our our crumbling infrastructure if we you know going for the whatever five hundred ships that the U.S. Navy wanted to filling up the Pacific. Right? Let's focus on what's important. For the for the for the people inside United States, which is to actually address the problem at home. There are so many good points that both you and VJ brought up, and this is why I continue to put a spotlight on the crimes of the U.S. Empire because I am of the belief, since I am a member of the uh, U.S. Global Core, that I have to hold my power accountable because they and as you mentioned, Carl, their decisions harms us. It's not with our best intention. It's what happened to every single empire where they overextend their reach. When you want to look at the Roman Empire, almost every single empire, they overextend their reach while they let their people starve. And that is what we are seeing right now. And bringing up Western hypocrisies in media propaganda is extremely important because as you guys mentioned, Vijay mentioned how people are propagandized to believe in their empire, that they are the good. And I learned through experience just by talking to people, they want to do right in terms of global uh, political politics. That's why they are able to get people to rah-rah, send weapons to Ukraine, because the media propaganda convinced people that Putin is the big evil one, right? So they were like, oh, let's fix that problem. When I explained to people that like Barack Obama bombed doctors without borders, 
when I talk about the millions of dead Iraqis, I from what I find, people are sympathetic to that. But our media propaganda purposely shines a spotlight on our enemies and waves their human rights violation as a way to sell imperialism, right? So when I bring up the simple fact that despite all the crimes of Putin, his kill count is not anywhere near the kill count of Joe Biden, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump on an individual basis. And it's quite insane how they managed to hijack the conversation and no one's talking about the Afghanistan citizens that are being starved under the Biden administration. No one's talking about how Israeli Israel is going into an offensive into Palestine. They're currently bombing Syria. You have Joe Biden that is funding a genocide in Yemen. And they are able to distract you by this by simply not even covering it while, while spotlighting the crimes of Putin. So I believe it's our job to spotlight, highlight the crimes on this, right? And then I haven't even talked about like the 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 consequences of sanctions as a whole that we've been putting on Venezuela. We've been putting on all our our global domestic uh, international enemies that has caused a ton of uh, damage that has been as as devastating as hot war itself. So I want to focus on that and get people attention to that because once you bring that up, you get people to uh, start to question the empire's narrative. So it's, it's all about educating and bringing up those topics. I want to pass it to Peter. I think you wanted to chime in. I want to pass it to my friends at FedBeat if you guys have another question. And I also wanted uh, to ask you guys' opinions about NATO and the Western hypocrisy surrounding that here soon. But Peter, you want to have anything you want to chime in on? Yeah, I mean, on what Carl was saying, like whatever happened to America goes not abroad in search of monsters to destroy. You know, like that that is completely turned on its head. Uh, and Vijay, thanks so much for bringing up the, the etymology of whataboutism. Uh, Carl, you might have heard, I think, on Radio War Nerd, uh, John Dolan was was talking about that as well. Um, and I wrote a little polemical essay about it because it's so annoying, because it, it's close enough to an actual logical fallacy, the, the appeal to hypocrisy. But what goes on there is you say, oh, you're accusing me of this, but you do it as well. Therefore, what we both did is okay. That's completely different from the argument that people are making that, you know, it makes no sense to demonize countries are governments that are guilty of objectively far worse crimes than your own government. That's an entirely different uh, sort of logical point that's being made there. Um, and and it's, it's especially frustrating for people on the left to be accused of uh, Putin puppetry or being a Putin puppet or a Putin lover. I mean, I was I was a Saddam lover, so I, I can't be a, a Putin lover because my only true love is Saddam from back in the you know the Iraq War days. But you know, back when when he was first installed, people on the left were were critical of him. They're like, you know, this is another uh, a puppet for the West. It's a, a sober uh, a Yeltsin. Uh, meanwhile, at the same time, people in the in the mainstream, like uh, Tom Friedman, were were writing articles uh, entitled "Rooting for Putin," like uh, hopefully you know he's going to be a better uh, a tool than Yeltsin. So you know to to I mean this this hall of mirrors that we're in is just it, it's very disorienting. And going back to what Vijay was saying. I didn't even pick up on that back during the, the Libyan war. I was very late to that realization of how like the, the uh, security state got really good at using leftist uh, arguments. I only picked up on that during the Bolivian coup, where I saw all of these people saying like, oh, you know, uh, uh, 
Evo Morales is an extractivist. He, he's not listening to the indigenous communities. So therefore, you know, well, if the coup happens, you know, it's okay. Not looking at who's replacing him at all. But, you know, th this is a very worrying uh, development. And I wonder if you, you guys have any uh, uh, thoughts on how that can be reversed. Oh, yeah. I, I remember that. They talk about how... Uh government in Venezuela and Bolivia are actually uh, bad for the environment because they're, they're, they're working with Chinese extraction uh, companies to extraction uh, extract mineral wealth. Look, like this is goes back to the definition of imperialism that Vijay brought up, right? Sovereignty is a very important part of it. Venezuela, Bolivia, they're sovereign government, right? They're elected by the people. They are, they have their own agency. When they go go invite uh, foreign companies, you know, be the, the Chinese company to come to their, their countries, that is a, a decision made by sovereign government, right? They're not being forced. Uh, nobody, you know, China is not holding a gun to their head, say, look, we're going to come in and we're going to dig mineral wealth from your soil, right? This is, so, so this is another instance, you're totally right. They, they kind of co-opted the leftist language and trying to uh, uh, paint the official enemy in a bad, bad light. And just to go back to a little bit of what you said earlier about uh, being a Saddam lover, like that's, that's an accusation that being level at the left anytime we criticize the u.s interventionist policy like look you don't have to you, know, you, you like you you it's it's totally separate i mean you don't have to root for saddam to recognize that invasion of iraq is totally illegal war and brought millions of death to the iraqis leave into wake destructions of the entire Iraqi society. You know, we have ISIS, a, a rise of ISIS out of the Iraq war. I mean, U.S., what have the, give me a, people always talk about we need to do this, we need to do that. I, I said, give me an instance where U.S. intervention has done good. You know, look, look at the track records, Iraq, Libya, right? And, and the whole um, the, the, the cry for NATO intervention in Ukraine, like sending more weapons, what's that going to lead to? That's going to lead to more people getting killed. That's going to prolong the war. The, the, the best way to stop the, the destruction and protection of the innocent right now is to put a quick end to the war. And that should be a, 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 a peace negotiation. That That's not what United States and uh, Europe yeah. are calling right now. We are we are for spending more weapons to Ukraine because we want to we want to fight the Russians to the last Ukrainians. It's a very cynical ploy to fight a proxy war against our official enemies, and it doesn't it does not help the people who, which is supposed designed to help, and which is Ukrainian civilians. They're gonna get caught caught up in this, and they're gonna get chewed up if the war continues. It, it's just gonna get worse, and the, the humanitarian disaster will just get worse. So, but, but, but yeah, the propaganda is so effective uh, and overwhelming, like Kareem have said, it, it, people can't get that into their heads. And this is, the U.S. intervention has done far, far more harm than just do nothing. I'm glad uh, you brought that up because since we got about 15 minutes left, I want to ask you guys this question. We can uh, start with Dr. Vijay Prashad because since you brought up 
the Ukraine crisis, Joe Biden is proposing another $33 billion, And that is with the intention of keeping the war going. And by everything I have been following, the United States have no interest in peace in this situation. They just want to keep this going to hurt Russia. Now, there's a lot of debate about how effective their strategy has been because ever since they put these sanctions on, the ruble is still as strong as it was before the war. So now there's a lot of questions about, is this backfiring? You see a lot of uh, a lot of countries in the global south, as we covered, who is breaking from the West in their fight against Russia's sanctions. So as this uh, conflict continues and as the quality of life in Europe uh, decreased because of this war, I do not think that this will really go well for the West. But I want to get your take on this, Dr. Vijay Prashad. What do you think about this development of what I, it's not really a new Cold War, but I call it, but it's like right in the open, like this new fight between the West, uh, China, Russia, and their allies. Like, what is your take on that? Like, how do you see that going? Do you think the West has a coherent strategy? Well, there's a lot of things to say about that. And, um, Um, look, the first thing is, uh, that's 33 billion, a lot of money, um, being given to send arms to, uh, Ukraine. I have to say some of that is going to be basically decrepit stuff from the U S warehouses that will be shipped off to Ukraine, uh, so that they can be replenished from arms dealers in the United States, including old troop carriers and so on. That's already been reported by reputed outlets. Um, But still, it's going to prolong the war. Um, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said something quite shocking, actually. He was asked about the situation in Ukraine. And, you know, I I actually expected him, a former military officer, to say something like, look, the objectives from the U.S. standpoint is to remove Russian troops from Ukraine. I I thought he would stop there. Well, Lloyd Austin actually went further. And he said the objective is to weaken Russia. Um, He was asked again two days later at a press conference about this comment about weaken Russia. And he didn't back away from it. Um, He agreed. Uh, But then he made a nuance. He said, weaken Russia so it doesn't threaten its neighbors. Um, But no doubt on the table is weaken Russia. That's significant. Um, Look, let's not you know, just look at the ruble now and say, oh, sanctions have not had an impact. Sanctions will have an impact. They will have a tough impact on the Russian economy. Um, The real matter is that the um, Europeans, the Japanese, India, other countries that are predisposed to the Western alliance um, have a contradictory relationship with Russia. Each of them is either invested deeply in Russian energy markets like Japan, Japan only um, imports about 6 to 7% of coal, um, liquefied natural gas, and oil from Russia. But Japan is a major investor in Sakhalin 1 and 2, uh, which is the energy uh, projects on Sakhalin Island. In fact, the Indian Oil and Natural Gas Organization, ONGC, um, has decided, because these are now looking like distressed assets in Sakhalin, Um, The Indian Oil and Natural Gas Corporation, which is the government corporation, has actually put out a public statement saying they're willing to bid to buy out the U.S. um, investments in Sakhalin Island at a discounted price. Um, 
the Germans have said that it's very difficult for them to cut natural gas supplies coming from, from Russia. These are contradictions. Nothing is clear. Um, even much of the voting pattern from the global south is filled with contradictions. I don't think there's much clarity in the world right now. I think people are sort of stumbling around trying to understand what's going on. And, and, I, and I feel that people on the left should be very sober uh, about analyzing the situation, you know, that one shouldn't jump here and there and say, oh, my God, it's the end of the West. Um, end of the West, the Stockholm Institute, which collects data on weapons, just showed that we've crossed globally the $2 trillion a year mark in arms expenditure. United States continues to have an enormous expenditure on weapon systems. Um, the U.S.-led financial system continues to strangle countries. You know, this is not the decline of, of U.S. imperialism. Um, it's fragile, but it has not declined. It's very fragile. I think it's extraordinarily naive to believe that, you know, suddenly China and Russia have emerged as major competitors. I don't accept the thesis that we have entered a multipolar world. I think we have entered a world where the real decrepitude of U.S. imperialism has put um, it on the table, and this is in 2018, put it on the table that it will not allow the rise of what U.S. Defense Secretary James Mattis called near-peer rivals, Russia and China. And the United States is going to do anything it can to weaken these countries. And that was, again, Lloyd Austin. So I, I just don't, I find it, it's a little irresponsible to talk about Russia and China as different poles of influence. Um, these are countries that are actually facing a severe attack by the most powerful country in the world. And they've taken a defensive position. Uh, I mean, chi neither China nor Russia at this point can um, at all compete with the United States in terms of its military and financial power. And I think we need to really register that. Therefore, we have entered a period of instability, of very dangerous warfare, um, of knee-jerk reactions from Washington and other Western capitals, for which reason I think a peace movement is essential, building the flanks of the left essential. Countries in the South, including South Africa, India, Brazil, after Lula wins the election this year, these countries will be bulwarks in a new non-aligned movement fighting to establish peace. People don't want to be drawn into the U.S. war against Eurasia. That's for sure. Um, but I don't. I just don't think we've entered a world where you know it's smooth sailing ahead. You know, multipolarity. I think that's extremely naive and dangerous.